0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. It's your weekly blitz with Chris, keeping you in the game. Good morning, everybody. I hope your day is starting out well and you're ready to make it your own. I know I am. Coach Chris Cotton here from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching, where we work hard to support your auto repair shop success. As you get into today's episode... You may know someone in your network who can benefit from today's topic. So please take time to share personally or through your social network. If you have an idea for a show topic or just want to talk, feel free to get with me at Chris at AutofixSOS.com. So let's get started with episode number 58, Understanding and Developing Organizational Culture or Culture in Your Auto Repair Shop. So culture is an interesting word. And it seems to be a hot button topic, but I talk to people all the time. They're like, Chris, I want to develop a great culture, but most people don't have a clue what that looks like, how to do it, how to make it a reality. So hopefully I'm able to to get these points across today and a great idea, or if not, stimulate some thoughts, some comments, and feel free to, again, email me or call me. The key to a successful organization is to have a, a culture based on A strongly held and widely shared set of beliefs that are supported by the the internal strategy and structure. You can't just say you want a great culture and wish it into existence, right? When an auto repair shop has a strong culture, three things tend to happen. Employees know how top management wants them to respond to any situation. Um, Employees also believe that the expected response is the proper one. And employees also know that they'll be rewarded for demonstrating the organization's values. As a shop owner, you have a vital role in perpetuating this culture, and it starts with recruiting and selecting applicants who will share the organization's beliefs and thrive in that culture that you're creating. You, as an auto repair shop owner, have to develop orientation, training, and performance management programs that outline and reinforce the repair shop's core values and, in turn, ensures that that appropriate rewards and recognition go to employees who truly embody the values. Okay? It's kind of crazy to think of it this way, but but what we do is kind of like training a dog. It's it's a recognition, a reward, and retraining if things aren't done the way the way we do it, but it's not done in a way where you're whacking a dog with a newspaper or a or a fly swatter. You are reinforcing good behavior and holding people accountable for bad behavior. That may be a little crass. You may think, Chris, you're an idiot talking about training dogs like that. But if you've ever trained a dog, it's it's very similar. So here's some bullet points of what we're going to talk about, okay? The importance of having a strong organizational culture, the shop owner's role in fostering that high-performance culture, the definitions of culture, factors that shape culture, considerations in creating and managing organizational culture, practices to ensure the continuity and success of an organization's culture. And and finally, some communications and metrics for your repair shop success, okay? And organization's culture defines the proper way to behave within the organization. It gives structure and accountability to itself and within itself. Um, This culture consists of shared beliefs and values established by leaders that are then communicated and reinforced through several different ways. And through those several different ways, you're ultimately shaping employee perceptions, behaviors, and understanding. Culture sets the context for everything an auto repair shop does. And because situations vary significantly, there's not a one size fits all culture template that meets the needs of all organizations. Just like you always hear me say, there's not a cookie cutter approach to to coaching for auto repair shops. Every shop is different. A strong culture is a a common denominator among successful companies, right? If you look outside of auto repair, all of them have, have consensus at the top regarding cultural priorities And those values focus not on individuals, but on the organization and its goals. Leaders in successful companies live their cultures every day. Like they wake up living their culture, they go to sleep living their culture, and they go out of their way to communicate their identities to employees as well as prospective new hires. Those leaders are clear about their values and how those values define their organizations and determine how those organizations run. And ineffective culture can bring down the organization and its leadership. If you have disengaged employees, high turnover, poor customer relations, lower profits, those are all examples of how the wrong culture can impact the bottom line in a negative effect. Company leaders play an instrumental role in shaping and sustaining this culture. If the leaderships or executives don't fit in the organization's culture, It's kind of ironic. Like If you don't fit in the culture that you've created, they often fail in their jobs or quit due to poor fit. So consequently, when organizations hire executives or second in commands, these individuals should have both the skills and the ability to fit into the company culture. And we're going to talk about it here in just a second. I want to make another point. You can't say one thing and do another. Okay. You have to lead by example. So if we get into this some more, what is culture? As an employer, you have to begin with the understanding what culture is and, and what your organization's specific culture is. If you don't have a clue, then you have to kind of go to the drawing board and, and, and write this out. At the deepest level, an organization's culture is based on values derived from basic assumptions about the following things. Human nature. Are people inherently good or bad, mutable or immutable, proactive or reactive? Those assumptions lead to beliefs about how employees, customers, and suppliers should interact and how they should be managed. If you're a chicken little and the sky is falling and you think all your employees are stealing from you, that says something about you and it says something about the employees. And then what kind of culture do you want to create? The organization's relationship to its environment. How does the organization define its business? Appropriate emotions, which emotions should people be encouraged to express and which ones should be suppressed? This goes back to my episode on are you a thermostat or a thermometer? It's episode number 17. Are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Effectiveness, what metrics show whether the organization and its individual components are doing well? What's your scorecard for success? Does your business have a scorecard for success? An organization will be effective only when the culture is supported by an appropriate business strategy and a structure that is appropriate for both the business and the desired culture. Okay. I'm going to give a shout out to one of my, one of my shops, Michael Galini, your auto shop. He developed a great scorecard based off the EOS principle out of the book. And it is amazing. It's really, really simple. It's, it's a pass or fail. Either yes, you did it. No, you didn't. And if it's a no, then you don't score your point in that area and he shares that with his employees. That's their scorecard for success. That's their metric on effectiveness for the culture. Culture is a concept and it's often an undefined aspect of an organization. As far as I know, there's no generally accepted definition of culture. There's some things you could probably, you look up culture in a book. You could probably look up culture in 10 different books and then go to 20 different places and they would all define it differently. Culture can manifest itself in a variety of ways, including leadership behaviors and communication styles. You know, if it's a given that culture comprises so many elements, it's not surprising that terms for describing specific cultures vary widely. Here's some common terms used for describing cultures. Customer-focused, innovative, fun, ethical, research-driven, technology-driven, process-oriented, hierarchical, family-friendly, and risk-taking. Because culture is so difficult to define, organizations have trouble maintaining consistency in their message about culture. Employees also find it difficult to identify and communicate about perceived cultural inconsistencies. This needs to be written down. It needs to be shared. You need to reinforce it. AutoLeap is a cloud-based, all-in-one auto repair software that helps to keep complete track of your business, from scheduling appointments to managing technicians to generating invoices. Supercharge your growth with AutoLeap. Customers that fully adopt AutoLeap see the following benefits in their first year. 30% revenue growth, with top customers seeing over 100% growth. 75% decrease in no-shows, allowing you to service more customers. Three times increase in positive Google reviews, leading to stronger online presence. 50% time saved on administrative tasks, driving increase in operational efficiency. Do it all with AutoLeap. Key features and functions include estimates, invoices, scheduling, Google reviews, inspections, communication, QuickBooks, reporting. Get in touch with AutoLeap to see how you can transform your auto repair shop. For a limited time, if you schedule a demo, sign up with AutoLeap and they will waive the $250 implementation fee. Factors that shape an organization's culture. Leaders often talk about the unusual natures of company culture's And and seeing their domains as special places to work, you know, organizations such as Disney and Nordstrom's, they're well known for their unique cultures. Those are very, very rare. Most company cultures are not that different from one another. Um, Even organizations and industries such as manufacturing, healthcare, auto repair, they all tend to share a common set of core cultural values. Most private sector companies, they want to grow and increase revenues. Who doesn't? Most, all of them strive to be team-oriented and to demonstrate concern for others. Most are driven rather than relaxed. And and because they're competing for dollars and market share, you know, that's why they're driven. Some of the cultural characteristics that distinguish most organizations include the following. Values. At the heart of organizations' cultures are commonly shared values. None are right or wrong, but Auto repair shops need to decide which values they'll emphasize. This also comes from the top. You can't be a leader in a repair shop that says one thing and does another. Leadership has to live your values. And you have to be able to call BS on people in your facility when they're not living and breathing the values. And the same thing, if they catch you doing it, they should be able to call you out on it right there on the spot in front of everybody. If it's something super touchy, then maybe you want to pull them aside. But people need to know that somebody is holding everybody else accountable to the values. And once you've created the great culture, everybody holds everybody accountable. So there's a a different list of common values, right, under the values heading. You can have outcome orientation. That typically emphasizes achievements and results. People orientation. That's people insisting on fairness, tolerance, and respect for the individual. Team orientations, when you get into emphasizing and rewarding collaboration, attention to detail, valuing precision and approaching situations and problems analytically, stability, providing security and following a predictable course, innovation, encouraging experimentation and risk taking. And this is one that came up when I was doing research for it. I don't understand it. I'm not really sure how. I mean, I guess I get it if you're in the military or something like this, but this is a value called aggressiveness, um, stimulating a fiercely competitive spirit. So I'm not so sure about that one, but I included it in here because it comes up a lot. The degree of hierarchy is the extent to which the organization values traditional channels of authority. And there's three distinct levels of hierarchy. One is having a well-defined structure and an expectation that people will work through official channels. Moderate is having a defined structure, but an acceptance that people often work outside formal channels. And then low, having loosely defined job descriptions and accepting that people challenge authority. I'm not so sure on the low one. When we do exit interviews and talk to people that are leaving a company, usually they talk about accountability and how nobody's there holding other people accountable. An organization with a high level of hierarchy tends to be more formal and moves more slowly than an organization with a low level of hierarchy. The degree of urgency defines how quickly the organization wants or needs to drive decision-making and innovation. Some organizations choose their degree of urgency, but others have it thrust on them by the marketplace. Sometimes you have no no choice in the, the sense of urgency in the business. A culture with high levels of urgency has a need to push projects through quickly and a high need to respond to a changing marketplace. A moderate level of urgency moves projects at a reasonable pace. And a low level of urgency means people work slowly and consistently, valuing quality over efficiency. An organization with high urgency tends to be fast-paced and supports a decisive management style. A decisive management style. An organization with low urgency tends to be more methodical and supports a more considered management style. This is a big one, and I want you to think about it the more i think about the culture and sense of urgency i think we have a an inner conflict or inner turmoil in our shops in in most shops you have two areas with different degrees of urgency right you have the service advisors that know the timeline and you're trying to keep everything on schedule with their foot on the pedal and and that is a high sense of urgency and you have the technicians in the back that are trying to get everything done at a high level so there are no comebacks, mistakes, etc., you know, and and you've got one with a high sense of urgency that wants everything now, and the other one wants it done right. And in the end, we all want it done right, but typically in shops, these two fight against each other. And then you've got people orientation or task orientation. This is kind of the same thing. Auto repair shops usually have a dominant way of valuing people and tasks, An organization with a strong people orientation tends to put people first when making decisions and believes that people drive the organization's performance and productivity. An organization with a strong task orientation tends to put tasks and processes first when making decisions and believes that efficiency and quality drive organization performance and productivity. So, again, you have this inner turmoil. People orientation, you know, can be like you're sent out towards the the customers and then task orientation, like the work you're trying to get done. Because so we want to do the best quality work with without any issues. So, you know, some organizations may get to choose their people in task orientations, but others may have to fit their orientation to the nature of their industry. And and that brings us into functional orientation. So every organization puts an emphasis on certain functional areas. You know, you have some functions of the auto repair shop that include marketing, operations and development. But for example, in an auto repair shop, you might have the technicians and technicians support staff working against the service advisors or the service staff. You know, that never happens, right? And you could also have two groups working against both of the other groups. So employees from different functions in the company may think that their functional areas are the ones that drive the organization, such as... Either one of the, one of the three saying, "Oh, the only reason we get anything done around here is because our function or or our different function is doing all the work. Typically, what happens though is if you have people from one side of it to or go from one function to another function, they find out that the grass is never greener on the other side, okay? Auto repair shop owners need to understand that what most employees perceive to be the company's functional orientation. So we need to ask them a question. How do you see the company functioning versus the, the way I really want it done or the way I really want it set, set out? There's also subcultures in repair shops and the, the overall culture. So any organization can have a mix of subcultures in addition to the dominant culture. Subcultures exist among groups or individuals who have their own rituals and traditions. Those might not be shared by the rest of the group, and they can also deepen and underscore the organization's core values. Um, Subcultures can cause serious problems. If you have an aggressive, if that is common in one area, it may not mess with the culture emphasizing team building or an organization with a culture built around quality may have trouble if the culture emphasizes hierarchy and expects people to bow to authority. Um, Employers must recognize those differences and address them directly. Have to have everybody on the bus going in the same direction. An organizational culture tends to merge over time, shaped by the leadership and by actions and values perceived to have contributed to early successes. A company culture can be managed through the cultural awareness of leaders and management, Managing a culture takes focused efforts to sustain elements of the culture that support the effectiveness. Okay. How does culture develop? And organizations, customs, traditions, rituals, uh, behavioral norms, symbols in general way of doing things are, are the visible manifestation of its culture. They're what one sees when walking into the organization. So if you think about it, does your shop break bread with each other? Do you have breakfast together? Do you have lunch together? Do you go do other things together? I really like the symbols. And if you don't think about the symbols, think about units in the military. There's a reason why they have patches. One, to recognize who everybody is, but also so that you can look at somebody and be like, oh, we went through the same things together. We were we were in that unit together. We were in that campaign together. And sometimes symbols in your business can be great if you have like a special patch, if service advisors have achieved certain things, if if technicians have achieved, achieved certain things, or if everybody achieves something together, maybe we need to have a patch around it or certificate or things like that. Use symbols and breaking bread and things like that to your advantage. So we, we can say that even though culture emerges naturally in most organizations, strong cultures often begin with a process called blueprinting. And that involves a conversation with leaders from across the organization, right? Once the culture is framed, an organization establishes a values committee, and that may just be the shop owner that has a direct link to leadership. This group makes sure that the desired culture is alive and well. And for blueprinting to work, you have to hire people who live the values and have the competency needed to perform the job. And it could be that you've already hired those people, but it could be that you need to hire more people or... Sometimes you need to get rid of some of the people in the business to do culture because there just will never be a a good or a great fit. Okay, so how do you sustain a culture? The management of culture starts with identifying the company's culture traits or artifacts. Um, Artifacts are the core business activities. And these are the processes, procedures and philosophies that characterize how an organization does business every day. You have to identify the traits and assess their importance in light of current business objectives. That's a way to start managing culture. Um, there's a couple of broad concepts that help identify the traits specific to a culture. The first one is social culture. This refers to group members' roles and responsibilities. It's the study of class distinctions and the distribution of power that exists in any group. Um, the second one is material culture. This involves examining everything that people in a group make or achieve and the ways people work with, the, with and support one another in exchange of required goods and services. And, and third is the culture from an ide- ideological standpoint. This is tied to the group's values, beliefs, and ideals, the things people view as fundamental. It includes the emotional and inte- intellectual guidelines that govern people's existence and interactions on a day-to-day basis. So leaders and managers within an auto repair shop should approach culture management by gaining an understanding of the common traits found in businesses. Then, then you would take the following steps to manage your organization's culture. Identify common artifacts or traits, including those from the standpoint of an organization's social material and ideological culture. And I know I'm going to say convene groups of employees. Again, sometimes maybe it's just you and one other employee or or you and two other employees, but you want people represented from all levels of the business, the functions and locations of the organization to assess the significance and currency of key artifacts. So maybe it's, maybe it's you, somebody from the service advisor staff, somebody from the technician staff. Once you've identified your key artifacts, you sub... You subject those traits to an assessment of their underlying shared assumptions, values, and beliefs. Can everybody get on board with this? And can we convey this to everybody that's coming into the business as a new hire? Once you get all that done, you you summarize the findings and share them with all participants to, to get any additional insights. And then finally, you create a culture management action plan. And so this plan enhances the traits that support growth or effectiveness, and correct traits that might hinder the culture advancement. So, you know, shared assumptions and beliefs originate with this organization's founders and leaders, and and because those beliefs prove successful, if that wasn't the truth, then the company wouldn't exist and the leaders would not be in the positions now, right? Oftentimes, they go unchallenged, but however, um, sometimes the assumptions of beliefs might be outdated and may hinder future success. So now we get into practices to develop culture. When an auto repair shop does a good job assessing its culture, it then goes on to establish the policies, the programs and strategy that support and strengthen its core purpose and values. In the organization, the same core characteristics or beliefs motivate and unite everyone, cascading down from leadership or ownership. And that's down from the leadership ownership down to individual um, people in the business or the contributors. There's a lot of tools for developing and sustaining high performance culture. It includes hiring practices, onboarding efforts, recognition programs, and performance management programs. The biggest challenge is deciding how to use these tools and how to allocate resources appropriately. Hiring practices, hiring's a really really tough topic, and most shops do it haphazardly. Uh, effective hiring practices help help an auto repair shop capitalize on its culture. Um, Traditionally, hiring focuses or focus primarily on applicant skills. But when a a new hire's personality also fits with the organization's culture, the employee will be more likely to deliver superior performance. On the other hand, ill-fitting hires and subsequent rapid departures because of ill-fitting hires cost usually 50% to 150% of the position's annual salary in lost time, productivity, and the fact that somebody has to go out and and hire somebody else. You know, the numbers I got, which is kind of astounding, are one in three new hired employees leave voluntarily or involuntarily within a year of hiring. And I think that number's gone up in recent years. So if we look at hiring practices that we need to utilize and implement to ensure cultural fit, this is this would be that list or this would be these bullets. If we look at each piece of the organization's vision, mission, and value statements, the interview questions should hone in on behaviors that complement those areas. For example, if the organization works with a lot of intensity, then job applicants should display the natural intensity to be considered for hire. If we're conducting a cultural fit interview, ask questions that elicit comments about organizational values such as honesty and integrity. If a candidate's description of the worst place he or she ever worked sounds just like the organization where you are, then the candidate probably will not be successful. And two, when you're hiring, you can leave discussion of company culture for later. Well, honestly, I wrote this down when I was doing the notes, but I'm not so sure I even agree with this 100 percent. It says it says do not tell candidates about culture up front. First, listen to what they have to say about their experiences and beliefs. Um, it says this tactic will reveal more candid responses to help determine whether they are fit for the organization. Um, that's where I have it in my notes. But I, to do that, I said I, maybe we should do that first and then discuss your values and then talk in the hiring process about what they think about values and everything. The other thing is make sure several people are involved in the hiring process. Don't do it yourself. If you can have yourself, one other, and then even a third person get into the hiring process, you know, different people will see and hear different things. And, you know, these perspectives give a clearer understanding of the person being considered for hire. You know, you may think this is the greatest person, but your, your number two and number three in command interviewed him and said, this person's terrible, then maybe you shouldn't hire that person. You know, searching for employees employees who fit in seamlessly has drawbacks. the The biggest mistake an organization can make is to paint an inaccurate picture of itself as it tries to attract candidates. If you've told candidates one thing and the reality is something else, and you sold them a bill of goods that that's not correct, they'll they'll not be happy, and they're probably not going to stick around. And if they do stick around, you know, morale will decline, and they'll be a burden on the business. Another possible drawback is that people are more reluctant to take negative actions against people like themselves. So as a result, mediocre workers are more likely to stay employed if they share the cultural values. And, and similarly, you know, although an organization's comfort level is is palpable when the culture is aligned, um, too much comfort can result in groupthink and complacency, and we, we don't want to do that. Some of the other things that we can do to help out during the hiring process is onboarding programs. And this kind of goes into the mentorship thing that I was talking about. Onboarding teaches newcomers the employer's value system. It teaches them the norms and desired behaviors. As an owner and as an employer, you have to help newcomers become part of social networks inside the organization and make sure that they have early job experiences that reinforce the culture. Way too often we take employees in the auto repair shop teach them how to clock in, say, great, poof, your technician, this is your bay, good luck, I'll, I'll talk to you at lunch. And that's it. We've got to stop that. Absolutely have to stop that process. Another thing that we can do is reward and recognition programs. These programs are, are the key mechanisms that we as employers can use to motivate employees to act within our culture and values. If, if teamwork is a core value, then bonuses should value teamwork and not be based on individual performance. Um, employers should also put the spotlight on those who personify the company's values. I would tell you that I am not a recognition dependent person, but every personality test I've ever taken would tell you exactly the opposite. So people want to be pulled out and told that they're doing a good job. Another thing we can do is performance management programs. So employees who share values and aspirations, they tend to outperform those environments that lack cohesiveness and common purposes. Do you um, share your sales goals with the service advisor staff? Do you share your productivity goals with the technicians? What are some other scorecards or what is your scorecard for success for the business? Performance management programs can affect corporate culture by outlining what is expected from the employees, as well as by providing a feedback tool that informs employees about proper behavior and, and modeled behavior, the the biggest issue in every shop in America that's having issues is communications, or or lack of ability to communicate. You know, when you have mixed messages regarding corporate culture, they create distrust and cynicism, um, which can be prompt or help employees justify. Things like embezzlement, if they're not happy, they do all kinds of crazy things. You know, cultural inconsistencies cause workers to grow discouraged, um, to believe management is disingenuous, and then also to doubt statements from higher ups and be less inclined to give their best effort. You have to invest significant time in creating a culture that is communicating and working on communication and is pushing it forward, you know. As shop owners, you have to ensure that the organization clearly and consistently communicates um, the culture to all employees and just communicates as a whole. So if we go into the metrics a little bit more, assessing culture is a crucial step in developing strategies that support objectives and goals. And so the question is, is how do you measure something that's potentially tough to describe as culture? You have to identify the key dimensions of culture, such as values, degrees of hierarchy, people and task orientations. And and then so what I've got listed is here is some of the the next steps that that help assess culture. So you need to develop a cultural assessment instrument. And so this instrument um, should enable members of the organization to rate the organization on the key cultural dimensions, as well as on aspects of the organization not covered on the assessment. Then you have to share the assessment and administer it, and people that fill out the survey should include individuals at all levels of the business, and don't be afraid to get that feedback. You also have to analyze and communicate the assessment results. Uh, Leaders and managers should discuss areas of agreement and disagreement about the organization's cultures, what's working right, what's not working right. If you can, if your business is big enough, conduct focus groups. Just because top management leaders agree on organizational culture does not mean that all employees see things that way. Make sure that what is said is what is heard, and then make sure you're living living out your culture. Discuss culture until consensus forms around key issues. Focus on who are we and what makes us who we are. Um, organizations that decide that where they are now is not where they want to be may need to look at moving the organization to embrace a different culture. Cultural assessments and other activities help uncover cultural inconsistencies. Okay, Once that happens, leaders can eliminate the inconsistencies. If customer service is a focus of the company's culture, evaluate how much time employees spend visiting customer sites, how much interaction they have with customers, what customer service training they receive, and other indicators of a customer service focus. So to conclude all this, and I know this has been a long one, and it's been a long day for me, so I feel like I've been a little bit discombobulated. This is part of a culture hiring and mentorship program that I've been working on developing. Um, I'm pretty close to getting it finished uh, if you're interested in this program and and want to see it taught live in person, then you can email me and or call me. Um, better yet, tell the leadership at conferences across the country that you want to learn more about it and request me in this class um, without it, without you asking for it. We, we may never get it taught. A lot of places around the country say, Chris, we want you to teach class. And I'm like, great. I have these classes, but what do you want me to teach? I can develop a class for anything. What are the hot button topics that your shop owners are seeing that they want help with? This has been Coach Chris Cotton from Autofix auto Shop Coaching. If you find yourself struggling in your auto repair business or have a feeling like you don't know what you don't know, but you are eager to learn and grow your business, then please feel free to reach out to me, Chris at AutofixSOS.com or give me a call at 940-400-1008. Time to get out and rise and grind, everybody. You've been listening to The Weekly Blitz with Coach Chris Cotton on the aftermarket Radio network.com. Follow Chris on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Chris is all for advancing the aftermarket.